for about two months now almost. Uh, i got to find the book I was supposed to be in here. Uh, we've been working on serving deacons, serving one another, the deacon body and all that. And, and then last week, um, Jed put a nice bow on it with the uh, 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. And as we were reading that verse again, uh, during the week, Jed, just so you know, uh, he was going to preach on that 2 Timothy 2.2. 2, and, um, and so I read 2 Timothy again. And, um, uh, is it, you know, I, I don't want to say I'm in competition with Jed, but I want to know more of the Bible than anyone else in this room. And I want you to have that same attitude. I want to know more of what God's Word has to say than anyone else that I meet or know. And we're going to talk about that with Ezra this morning. So I was reading 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. I read a commentary on it and some other things. And, and what I discovered was, as that, that scripture I want to read to you again, it says, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who should be able to teach others also. Remember, he drew the triangle here. And so he had, you know, Paul and then Timothy and then faithful men and then others. And then the others is what brought the gospel to you. So your commitment to understanding God's word and the gospel is what allows it to go to generations. I'm going to tell you that Timothy wasn't thinking about Dale or Jed or Dave or any of these people here or you when they gave it to faithful men, when they gave it to others. But by the witness of Paul to Timothy to faithful men to others, to others, to others, to others eventually it got to us 2,000 years later. That's how it works. That's the design God had. And... Um, so when I'm reading about how Paul wrote that book, I want you to understand where Paul was at. This is not what the message is about this morning. But this is what really struck me. Paul was in the last prison life that he was going to experience before death. He was in a pit, essentially. I'm not sure if concrete, stone, or whatever. A, a dug pit. Had an 18-inch hole in the ceiling. That's where he was lowered into the pit. Had a raw sewage thing down through the middle of the pit. Anything that Paul gave or re, you know received or sent was passed through the 18-inch hole in the roof. And if you notice, if you read all of 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, the only thing that Paul asked for is a cloak. Like if you're coming, wintertime's coming, whatever the temperature is above the 18-inch hole, it's going to be the same thing below the 18-inch hole, and I would, you know, like to have a jacket. That's the only thing he asked for. The whole of 2 Timothy 2.2 2 is, how are you? I love you. I want to encourage you. I'm trying to build you up. Remain faithful. Remain loyal. Remain diligent. Don't worry about the persecution I'm going through. It's about you. It's about you. Present the gospel. Present the gospel. Keep presenting the gospel. That's what it's about. And Paul, the only thing the guy asked for is a jack, is a, a cloak. You know, it's a, kind of a wrap, more like you could wear it to, to lay on or to cover up with. And then, not long after that, he was snatched out of there and uh, beheaded. And when I was reading that, the verse that came to mind was Titus 2.12, denying ungodliness, well actually it says teaching us, that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteous, and godly in this present age. That was like the perfect example of what you're supposed to do no matter what the circumstances are of your life. You're to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and live in this universe soberly righteously and godly as long as you're alive in this present age and and actually that that is if you read it uh, I'll, I'll give you the verse you can go back and look at second timothy 4 6 through 8 it's like paul's last will and testament this i leave to you i ran a good race i fought a good fight they're fixing to yoke me but that's okay uh, i'm turning this over to your hands i mean he gives everything that he has which is nothing materially spiritually and he puts it in timothy's hand and said give this to faithful men who are going to give it to other faithful men to other faithful men and by faithful men that's you even if you're a a women it's you it's mankind it's passed on faithful women give it to other faithful women give it to other faithful women so that people generationally long past the worms have eaten our carcasses they're going to come to Christ because you were faithful. Someone faithful gave it to you. Don't be a greedy slob. Pass <laughs> it to someone else. That they can be faithful as well. And, then, and make sure you tell them, the reason I'm giving you this, it ain't just for you. It's to think of others more highly than yourself. It's for you and those that come after you. Hmm. I was just thinking about 
you know, we're, we're coming up on Thanksgiving. One of the, it's the second most wonderful time of the year, in my humble opinion. The first, of course, Marine Corps birthday. The second is Thanksgiving because surrounding Thanksgiving is hunting season, which is where you go and hunt the wily pheasant and the deer and all turkeys and all that stuff. Whatever passes in front of the gun barrel this time of year is doomed. And I really enjoy this time of year. I always have from the time I was a kid. Ducks, we go out west and shoot ducks and pheasants, whatever. But also, as Christians, the holidays is one of those times when family comes together. And if you think about, as Jesus talks to the first disciple, he gets the first disciple, and what does the first disciple do? He runs home and tells who? His brother. You have more influence on your family than any other person. Well, I feel uncomfortable talking to mom and dad. How about this? You go to mom and dad that aren't believers, and you, and you start weeping in front of them. You say, you're going to hell, and I understand. I know what the gospel is now. I never understood before. I'm really sorry. I haven't lived the greatest life. Have, have mercy as you listen to me, mom, dad, sister, brother. Have mercy, but you've got to listen before it's too late, because if you die without this, well, it's going to make Thanksgiving uncomfortable. What's more uncomfortable? The flames licking the, the flesh off your bones or having an awkward conversation at Thanksgiving. If you love them, then you need to tell them. Start with your brother. Start with your mother. Start with your sister. Start with your family. And go beyond that. So there's a motivational speech for your Thanksgiving dinner. How about that? But I'm telling you, I, I, I hear that and I think, man, we are so lax in what we know to be true and giving the gospel to some other people that we're missing our chance of doing the Paul, the Timothy, the faithful men, to others, to others, to others. And it came to you. If it came to you, you have no right to hold on to it for yourself. So thinking about that, this, this week I, I want to just kind of wrap up as best I can. This probably won't be the world's best wrap-up, but uh, that aspect of serving in the body as a fellowship, as ministers of the gospel, as the priesthood, our, our priesthood is somewhat limited here. We have the Levitical priesthood of Tony, um, Dave, Jed, and I. That's the that's the priesthood you got. And then we got the the Nephinim. That that would be the deacon body. That's the the uh, burden bearers of the of the tabernacle there of the temple. And then it's just pretty much the body. We we are one small ministering body. And we need to think of each other as such. And so I wanted to go to Ezra. I'm reading Ezra, and I'm like, dang, that looks like plant grow harvest right there. That's what I saw when I when I looked there. Now, I told you that, and you're going to be like, well, he really thinks a lot about us, doesn't he? But well, let's read through it, and let's let's remember there, uh, Romans 15, 4, whatsoever was written um, aforetime were written for our encouragement, for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. So the reason we study Ezra is because it relates to us. And um, if you remember, Ezra was this prophet. He was one of the prophets. Him... Nehemiah, Zechariah, Haggai, all those guys were of the same era, uh, the book of Esther written in that era as well. All those guys, they had been taken into Syria slash Persia, and now they're this trickle, about 42,000 were allowed to come back to Jerusalem. Through the working of God on the spirit of them, as they were repentant, as their prophets and their Daniel-type people excuse me, were, were praying, repenting, asking for God's mercy to intervene on them. All that's going on. They do their 70 years. And Ezra's one brings one of the groups of them back and does a lot of other things too. But he's a notorious, that's the wrong word, but a famous scribe and, uh, and of the royal priesthood and could trace himself all the way back to, the, to Aaron. So he's on Aaron's direct lineage. <coughs> Excuse me. And so, so he was a scribe. In other words... He wrote down and was authorized to write down the law. It means he had written it numerous times. As a scribe, it's a long process, and we won't get into that. But he could do it perfectly, essentially from memory. And Ezra is known for writing at least Chronicles, Ezra, and Nehemiah. So he knew these other, he had written those books just as history books of things that are going on in the time. And Chronicles, he would have written while in captivity as people are like, hey, you remember that time about King David? Oh, yeah, let me write that down. Remember that time about Solomon? Yeah, I remember that. Hezekiah, he writes it down. He puts it in the correct order, uses the other references, writes it out, and it's in the canon that we use as scripture today. So Ezra gets this group of exiles together, 
and he's going to take them back into Jerusalem. He has the go-ahead of the king. He gets a special sign, uh, you know, note from the teacher there, a hall pass to cross from there to Jerusalem, but it's a pretty good ways. And uh, you may be able to see it if you got one of your Bible maps, but if you look where Persia is or Iran or so, right in that area today, it's a long way. And what he does is he takes them dang near straight across the desert. He doesn't go the traditional route. And the other thing he doesn't do is he says, I'm not taking any guard with me. King's like, hey, we'll send a guard with you. We'll send some police force, some little, you know, whatever, reservists or whatever. And he's like, I'm not, no, no. If God's in this, we'll be fine. And so he, to do that, he, he does it for a couple reasons. One reason is he wants to prove to the people that God is in fact who he says he is, that he is the God who cares, that he is the God who goes before, that he is the God uh, provider, and that he'll make sure they get there. If it's his will, he'll make sure they get there. If it's not his will, I guess you die in the wilderness. And they make a pretty rapid trip across there. And um, so... Uh, let's see. So anyway, one of the like the key verse, a lot of people, if you read the book of Ezra, if you memorize one verse from Ezra, it's usually Ezra 7.10. And it says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. That and the verse from Joshua 1.8, This book of the law shall not depart from thy mouth, and I shall meditate on it day and night, and you know, being keeping, make sure that you do all the things that are written in the book, and so on. So those two are like the two key verses in the Bible that should convict you and give you a zeal for reading God's Word and knowing it. To read His Word one time is a good thing. To read it a hundred times is a much better thing because His Word tells us who He is. It's His conversation with us. Prayer, our conversation with Him, though He does speak through prayer and other means to us, but this is the primary way that He speaks to us, to read His Word and to know it, know it, is the best way to know God and know who he is. So, let's see what we can learn from these people, uh, this, this second exodus. And it came in three, three you know, small groups of these pilgrims that came back from, uh, whatever, from Syria or Persia. But in this particular group with Ezra's, let's see what we can learn from this group of people. I want you to look for Ezra chapter 6, uh, go to verse 14. We're going to read 14 through the end of the chapter there. I'll have mercy on you this morning and read it from the, the New King James for you. You're welcome. But I might throw an occasional thigh just to throw you off, to keep you humble. Sorry, I said 14. I want to start at 12. Uh, so the elders of the Jews built... So the elders of the Jews built, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. And they built and finished it, talking about the temple. Um, basically, they're at the foundation of the temple, and which is completely ridiculous to me. They have like a throwdown celebration when they get the footer poured. Anyway, so the elders of the Jews built, they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, they built and finished it according to the commandments of the God of Israel, and according to the command of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Now the temple was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which is in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Then the children of Israel, the priests, and the Levites, and the rest of the descendants of the captivity celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. And they offered sacrifices at the dedication of this house of God, 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. They assigned the priests to their divisions and the Levites to their divisions over the service of God in Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. And the descendants of the captivity kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month, for the priests and the Levites had purified themselves. All of them were ritually clean, and they slaughtered the Passover lambs for all the descendants of the captivity, for their brethren, the priests, and for themselves. Then the children of Israel, who had returned from the captivity, ate together with all who had separated themselves from the filth of the nations of the land in order to seek the Lord God of Israel. And they kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with joy, for the Lord made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. If you go to Nehemiah and see one of those earlier trips, there's, a, there's some earlier trips that came, and the only thing they got accomplished was the foundation. Now here we are almost 20 years later, and Ezra has finally, by his work, the work of Nehemiah and these prophets, they've actually accomplished the construction of the temple. 
Nehemiah gets the ensures that the footer's built. Anyway, we'll talk about that in a second. But uh, he gets those built. They have a big celebration, and then they kind of knock off the work there. So let's see what Ezra did. And I want you to look at these scriptures and see if you can learn anything about the body and what a body looks like that's really working together to accomplish the will of God. And this is in that era. But I just saw some parallels in that era and in our fellowship. So you can look for those and agree or disagree. Verse 16, it said... um, the children of Israel, the priests, the Levites, the rest of the children of captivity, kept the dedication of this house of God with joy. They celebrated the building. They were like excited that the building was complete. We moved in here in August, a year and a half ago or so. We celebrated with joy. We were thinking about, hey, look, an air conditioner. And I know you guys might laugh. If you weren't here over at Homestead, I'm going to tell you, it's pretty dang nice in here right now. Because at Homestead, whatever the temperature was outside, it's about the same inside. Uh, it was just brisk. But in the summer, it was nice and warm. So whatever it was outside, what it was inside, is just how it was. And just to receive something as nice as air conditioning, man, what a blessing from God. We did celebrate. We might could have celebrated. We need some Hispanics in here to really turn those. We need some tambourines or something, get the celebration level up a little bit more maybe. But So they celebrated. The next thing was they offered dedications at the house of God with joy. It says they kept the dedication of this house of God with joy. If you read... Um, in this, if you read in Nehemiah, and if you go to Chronicles, and, or uh, I'm sorry, yeah, Chronicles, where Solomon dedicates the temples, man, they got trumpeters, they got musicians, they got them lined up, marching around, doing all kinds of stuff. They, they made it a major deal. There was no doubt that people outside the fellowship were aware that something big was going down with, uh, with the people of God. There was no question that something big was happening. Number three, they gave towards the completion of the house of God. Verse 17, they offered at the dedication of the house of God 100 bullocks, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and a sin offering for all Israel, 12 he goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. I want to tell you something that uh, this is proven true. I, I read this one time, and uh, it's proven true throughout history. But whatever the cost of, uh, what's, what's, a, what's a steer right now? Say 550-pound steer there. What are we talking about a pound? Six and a quarter, five fifty. So, so what? A dollar, dollar twelve. They're a little bit low right now. Then, but say, um, so since since about all of time, about a thousand pounds was equal to one ounce of gold. A thousand pound steer, or a cow, bull. I'm trying to say, male. Thousand pounds was equal to about an ounce of gold. Was equal to the finest horse, one of the finer horse, or a, a really fine suit of clothes. I want you to think about that, especially all you old-timers. Think about that in time. Think about what your dollar could buy years ago. So today, if you wanted a really nice suit of clothes, say you got a big-time big steer, we're talking $1,000, $1,200. A really nice suit be about $1,000, $1,200. A pretty good horse, a, a cutting horse, something like that, not overly trained, about $1,000, $1,200. And an ounce of gold, about $1,500, a little bit more. But it was the same in the Roman Empire. It's been the same measure throughout time. So if you want to talk about um, value or the decline of the dollar, that's how it works. It's always been about the same. The things that are products like that, actual things you put your hand on, it's about the same, always has been. I want you to look at how much money we're talking about here. A hundred bullocks, 200 rams. How much is a ram right now? $250, $300 maybe, like a, like a pretty good-sized killing uh, goat. Or you can usually buy around 300 bucks. Uh, 400 lambs, again, 250, 400 bucks, somewhere in there. 12 he goats, so on. We're talking about a lot of money. Not only that, if you go back, you read in Nehemiah, they gave gold in abundance, they gave silver in abundance, they gave bronze, which was valuable then, more so than now, and brass, um, two different, similar but different metals, depending on what's added to it, and in other wood and stone and all this stuff. Not to mention their time. They had a lot of money in this building. They had a lot of money in this production at the end. They gave towards the completion of the house of God. Number four, it says, verse 20, for the priests and the Levites were purified together. All of them were pure. They were purified as a body, and they sought to continually live pure lives. So it wasn't a one-time purifying. It was an ongoing purifying. Now we have a place where the offering is back in order, and so we can be you know, continue to offer this purification, different things that they did for sin and that sort of thing. And then they saw their need to remain separate from the world. Look what they called the world. 
uh, verse 21, the children of Israel, when they came again out of captivity, they saw they had separated themselves, they had made themselves holy unto them from the filthiness of the heathen of the land. They recognized that the world that surrounded them in that era, just like today, was completely filthy. Everything about it is designed to draw you away from God. And you, in order to maintain your purity, you have to keep the mind of Christ, and you have to, you have to actively work on that. And they separated themselves. And number six, they were obedient, and the Lord gave them joy. They kept the feast of the Passover. They kept the feast of unleavened bread. Those two are tied together, you know, um, uh, Passover, the first day of the feast of unleavened bread. Seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful. They saw that by being obedient over a long period of time, that the Lord had intervened, allowed them to finish this product in the middle of the wilderness. By the way, go to Nehemiah again. These two books are closely tied together. It used to be one book. Uh, in Nehemiah, you see that they, it says that they had to work with one hand and hold the sword with the other. Because the bad guys are constantly trying to keep them from getting this accomplished. They're doing everything in their power to demean them and humiliate them, attack them at night, steal their stuff like they stole our ladder out here. Can't put no siding on the building to steal my dang ladder. I better be out there with my sword keeping you off my ladder. Then it's trying to hard to climb the ladder with one hand, got the sword over here, you know, the hammer, the screw gun in your belt. It's tough to get it done. It's tough. So that's what they're doing. They're having to fight these jokers off with the sword with one hand, work with the other. To see this accomplished is a big, big thing. And what happened was the Lord in that, in their obedience, it says he actually turns the heart of the king in a positive way towards them. That's a, this is an, the Assyrians, he's an Assyrian king, I believe. Yeah, the king of Assyria. These are bad people. This is Remember, we've talked about this before. I believe Jed taught it, actually. But mountain of skulls outside the gate at Nineveh. You know, these are the people we already killed. Welcome to our city. Screw up and you're going to be one of these. Or let us dominate you and we'll just add you to the pile. This is who we're dealing with. Um, it says the king's heart is softened. He turned the heart of the king of Assyria on them. Because of their obedience, their loyalty to one another, and their obedience to Christ, or God, in this case, Jehovah, because of that, even the king's heart is turned. He's like, man, these people are for real. Uh, their obedience had an out influence outside the fellowship. I want to tell you, as we left Homestead, we saw a warlike attitude against the people that met in Homestead Elementary School, for whatever reason, primarily from the school board. But that aside, they didn't want us to be there. They wanted to see it. And then, you know, we worked in here. I didn't have to carry a sword in here. I don't think we ever had to fend anybody off. We had Donnie living in the back, but he was pretty defenseless, you know. But we did. We had to work hard to get this accomplished, to get what we have. Uh, I know that it took something for the people that came from Central to develop this this body, uh, you know, five and a half, six years ago. It, it took something from them to leave a safe place, just like these people had to do. They had to leave a place. They may have been enslaved there, but they knew what the rules were to go to a new place, to fall under a new style of leadership that they haven't seen before, to try on a new... It's, it's a scary thing. Uh, the people that, that have been here, and we've been consistent in giving. I, I was telling, I don't know if it was the deacons or something, the generosity of the people here, I mean, yeah, I mean, give twice as much. God bless you. But whatever you've given has been more than sufficient to this point for us to spend... Fifty, sixty thousand a year to go on mission trips to give to mission opportunities. We've built a number of church buildings and so on. The giving has been good. The heart of the people towards giving back to what God's given them has been very generous. We've seen that. They offered dedications at the house of God with joy. We've seen that. They saw their need to remain separate from the world. We preach that. I assume most of you uh, desire that as well. And in, and I think, I believe, as I've seen people, as we, we can see it when we come together in the morning, that there's an increase in joy. As you guys come together in the morning, we have trouble, we don't know, we have trouble getting started on time because we're slackers. But that aside, people really enjoy meeting with one another. I mean, it's like, sit down already so we can start. No, it's good. I'm glad you enjoy one another. That's good. And that joy that, that is, comes from the Lord. I mean, you can come in a little depleted and come in here and be encouraged and be refilled. So, so that's the people in general. So let's look at the, the priesthood in general. The 614. So we got a, a, a layer of, 
of uh, leadership here. We've got layers, just like we have here, but in a different way because they were so tribal. They had the tribal system going on, and they had the, the priesthood, and Levitical priesthood, and the, the other supporting priesthood of sorts, the Nephinim, that actually did all the heavy lifting. Um, and the elders of the Jews builded, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet, Zechariah the son of Edo, according to the commandment of God of Israel. Turn the page to 17. I already read you this once. So Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Now this is the copy of the letter that the king Artaxerxes gave unto Ezra the priest, the scribe, even a scribe of the words of the commandments of the Lord and his statutes to Israel. So you have the these, they have access to men like Haggai, which is a two-chapter book. You can read it um, between uh, your drinking your coffee and eating your donut in the morning. It's two, two short chapters. So they got Haggai, they got Zechariah, a, a little bit longer book, about 14 chapters. Zechariah is where it ends with the water flowing out from underneath the temple and restoring the desert and, uh, the, and restoring the Dead Sea and all that. Um, and then he's, they, got, they got Nehemiah, they got Ezra, and they have these elders. Everybody's of the mindset of let us accomplish this task given to us by God. They had this unity of mindset. And look at Ezra's humility, 7, 7 27, 28. This is what Ezra says. The, the king gives him this big list. It starts there about verse 11. And 27 and 28 is Ezra's response. 7, 27 and 28. Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers, which hath put such a thing as this in the king's heart, to beautify the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem, and hath extended mercy unto me before the king and his counselors before all the king's mighty princes. And I was strengthened as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me, and I gathered together out of Israel chief men to go up with me. You know what? He doesn't crack the whip on them, although he does later. But in this, in this gathering the people, he's very humble. I mean, this king has the power to put his carcass out there with the other stack of dead bodies in the front of the, in the, front of the city. But he, but he goes to the king humbly, God's working on Ezra. He's working on the king. His sovereign will puts it all together. And Ezra, when he realizes that, he doesn't try to take the credit. He gives it all back to God. And he says, blessed be the Lord God of our fathers who put this thing on the king's heart. He goes, this was my vision. This was my plan. This one, I'm going I'm I'm to tear this thing down. He doesn't do that. He gives it all back to the father and says, yeah, actually, you'll see in their humility that they actually, when they first come out, they're just, he says, let's fast. And they're like, okay, let's fast. What a, I mean, with a body like this, with a body of people like this church, like this church, like that church, church, the ecclesia, the called out, the group, that's what it means, just a group of people separated, just a congregation, a body of people, that body there was called out and they had the right spirit. They had the desire to do God's will. Ezra's desire was to know God and his word, and it gave him the wisdom to make these correct decisions over and over, him and Nehemiah both. When he had to deal with the king, we see how he dealt with the king well. When he had to deal with the enemies, you see how Nehemiah dealt with the enemies. He's like, beat it. And they're like, well, no, you got to do this. He's like, get out of here. And he had no fear for them because he knew that God was running the show. Uh, he had the right attitude as he dealt with other leaders. Look at 8.15. He still has to deal with big attitudes, big personality. And I gathered them together in the river that runneth to Ahava, and there abode we tents three days. And I viewed the people and the priests and found there was none of the sons of Levi. And so he has to organize these people and find out where the Jed is and where the Dave is and where the Tony is. And then he's got to purify them. And he's got to remind them, hey, dummy, you're supposed to be purified from the time of your birth. Get your stuff together because we got a bunch of people to lead. And so he gets them in the right mindset and he directs them so that they can help guide the people. And then he has to deal with the people as a whole. Um, you see uh, 8 verse 21, I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might afflict ourselves before our God to seek of him a right way for us and our little ones and for all our substance. They're not even out of Persia yet. It's like right before the football game when you're all piled up on the edge of the field fixing to run through the big paper thing that tears in half. He's right there and he's like, all right, here, we better fast before we go. And they're like, oh, okay, you seem to be the only guy that seems to know what's going on here, coach. <laughs> Whatever the coach says, that's what they're going to do at this point. I mean, it was a, it, he's got so much humility 
and willingness to do whatever the Lord ascribed to him, but he also has so much wisdom because it says he had purposed in his heart a long time before to know God's word. So to do this, he can get it done. The people, in turn, by being obedient to the, to the directing of Ezra, were blessed with peace and security, spiritual guidance, direction. And, uh, and even in that, it gave them this desire to recommit themselves to a d- deeper desire to know God, to be with God, to be his people, to be obedient to him. And, um, and if Ezra said fast, that's what they did. And if he said walk, that's what they did. He said don't worry about the enemy, that's what they did. He said dig, and that's what they did. It was a, it's a bigger deal than what you realize. So they gave, their, they gave control of their life physical and their life spiritual back to God, knowing that his care would be better than them to try to defend themselves. Like I said, I really liked, well, maybe I didn't tell you this, but I'm going to tell you now. <laughs> the books of Ezra, Nehemiah, Zechariah, Haggai, those four books are probably, for me, some of my favorite books in the Bible for this reason. One, they're easy, they're short, but that's not why. The main, the main reason is, is because in those you see people with a slave mindset that are freed from slavery, that fall back into slavery, by their own action, and you see the mercy of God. It is the Christian life in a nutshell. They see this, you see the salvation of them. You see them growing with God. They're all highly motivated, truly dedicated. And they're brought right there with God. And in time, stuff starts coming on, and they start whiffling away. And in 20 years, instead of going with God, they're going like this away from God. And in those, God is so, God is so patient, so long-suffering with slave-minded people like us that he calls them back and is merciful to them. And I, I really wanted to show you this. He frees them. They start to s- slip away. And even when he spanks them, he's really merciful. I, I, I mean, think about spanking a small child versus dealing with some kind of problem with an older teenager. I mean, you know you have the ability to, to break the hiney off of a four-year-old kid. You know? But because of your mercy, the Bible says we are not consumed. Because of your mercy, you know, Eva is not consumed. Because they can frustrate you to death. God, you know, chastens those who he loves, like a father or son in whom he loves. He's going to spank you, but he spanks you to draw you back. And he spanks you, you're like, man, this is too much, or I can't bear this, you know? He spanks you in a way that you can bear. It's Like I said, it's such a good picture of the Christian life, these books of the Bible is. His willingness to restore his called out ones time and again should give you unshakable hope. I don't care. I really don't care. I want you to hear me where you're at in your Christian life right now today. I feel like God's a million miles away. Doesn't matter. He's there. You need to look at the walk. You need to look at the path. Because what's happened is he's still right here. And you're the one that's going over here. Uh, this book, one of my favorite books, right there beside old Pilgrim's Progress. I don't recommend it to first-time readers. Holy War by John Bunyan. About what, what time are we talking about there? 1400s, maybe 1300s? Long time ago. Great book. I'm going to read you a quote out of it. I promise to read like the wind. It gave me this same picture of the Christian walk. And it's what I want you to see this morning. I'm going to read you a quote out of this in a second. Is that when the, when the Christian... When you're young and you first come to faith, I want you to just, wherever you're at right now, I want you to think about where you were when you first came to faith in Christ and how free you felt. And I've told you before, I I probably got a whipping for this, but I come home from church and I was tearing the house up. I was running around and I was telling my parents, I got saved, I got saved. You know, mom's like, if you touch one more thing, I swear. You'll be dead, and you can see whether or not you're truly saved. <laughs> but uh, it was I was free. And in time, tragically, I moved away from God a far, far way. And actually, there was a time in the Marine Corps that I, I greatly regret that I was, I was actually out in the wilderness, as they say, truly, in the rain. And um, it had rained literally for probably five days, 24 hours straight. When you're in the field, you're in the field. You're not living in tents. It's not the Air Force. Sorry. That was just a, a jab. I was mean and hurtful. I shouldn't have said that. But uh, 
Sorry, Warren. He's in the back. Um, I mean, you're just exposed. It was raining 24 hours like it rained here the other day where it was just pouring like on Forrest Gump where it even rained up. It was raining like that. We were actually in a, a rainforest area. And in that, I was like, God, you would not, if, you're real, if there's really a God, you would not treat me like this. I got this thing called prickly heat, which is basically uh, cellulitis, like babies get diaper rash. I had it all over my body, down my back. I had a big boil on my back from my pack. I had rubbed a hole in my back and got infected, about the size of a half a golf ball. That's so where I'm like, and what kind of, this is how you treat your boy, you know, this is how you treat your people? And in that, I truly, with my mouth, rejected God and his care for me. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm a, you know, I accepted you as Savior, and you would treat me this way? And the thing was, I hadn't walked with him one step, hardly, from probably 10 years old to now. And I'm like, why aren't you intervening right now? How come you're not intervening in my life? And I'll tell you something else that happened. Um, is about that time, probably one of the most miraculous prayers Old Dale ever prayed. I was like, God, you, I don't know, it's probably one of the few Bible verses I even know. I said, if you ask anything in my name, I will give it to you. Which is completely misquoting the thing. That's how I remembered it in my little head. And I was like, God, if you are there, make it stop raining. And I'm telling you, you can call me a liar. I was there, and you weren't. It quit like that. And it never rained another drop for a week. And then about six days later, I could actually lower my arms again. That, that You know how baby cr cr kind of shock cries when they have the diaper rash? When that stuff hits you like getting stung by hornets, that prickly heat. I had it on my underneath. It was bad. Anyhow, it took a couple of days to clear that up because the, you have to have dry skin, and all my stuff was wet for it. But even in that, I'm like, that was a miraculous thing. I'm sure everybody else was praying the same thing at the same time. Like, please, God, make it stop. But um, he was demonstrating that he's still there. He's still there. And I kept on going my own way. And many of you have probably done the same thing. Um, and, and what I'm going to show you this morning is sometimes the coming back can be a little thorny, can be a little difficult. Because... Um, Remember old John Bunyan, the Christian walk, here's Calvary, drops his pack, right? Drops the burden of sin right here. But at one point, him, he gets past, he gets past the cross. He gets past the cross. He's, he's walking with faithful. And this angel comes and says, do not get off this path. Do not. And then he sees this little sign. It's like, easy path. Here. So him and faithful, they start trickling off on this easy path, and they can still see this path. And they're like, this is easier walking. They get on this path. Anyway, they don't realize, but it actually goes like this. So an angel finally meets them. They start running into problems and stuff. And an angel meets them, and he says, uh, uh, why are you on this path? They start praying again. God, where are you at? Why aren't you helping us? And, he's, and, the, and the angel says, uh, um, you're in the wrong spot, boys. You're not in the right spot anymore. He said, they said, well, we want to get back on the right path. And so they try to do this trick right here. They try to go straight back to here to get on the right path. Angel says, that's not how it works. You got to go back this way. And when they get to this intersection, the angel tells them to lay down and he whips them. And they thank the angel for getting them back on the right path. There's no shortcuts in the Christian life. It's a, it's, a tough, it's a tough walk. But when you get off the path, the return is thorny is what I'm telling you. So as time went on, and those things in your life came in and they, they obstructed your path of interest. So you're, so you're this new believer and your, your glory and your hope is in Christ. And you know it. You know that you're free. For the first time in your life, you know that you're truly free. And somehow you got some age on you if you're my age, you know, you know, girls came into to view or 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 whatever thing. And with with these people in Ezra, or in Nehemiah actually, what came into view for them was we got the foundation laid, and we're having a few issues out here with these, you know, Tobias and Sandballot and them jokers. 
So we'll just we'll put that off and let's build us some houses to live in. And then, you know, if I got a house, I need a woman. So we'll get us a wife. And they start getting wives from the neighborhood, except the neighborhoods are the Canaanites, not who the ones they were supposed to get from. And then they start doing more and more things. They start making their own wealth, building their own houses, getting their own wives, getting their families going. And what happened was they got on this path. They thought they could have Jehovah and their life as well. There's, there's plenty of room in my heart for both. I can have Jehovah and I can have my life as well. And there's plenty of room in my heart for both. And God says, no, I'm a jealous God. I'm it or, or you get nothing. And so, um, so that little bit of spirituality you gained with, in that new birth, it can be a dangerous thing. If you're looking for that next miraculous, super happy experience, then it can be very dangerous because that's not how God works. I'm not saying he doesn't work in a miraculous way. I'm saying in general, it's a long, it's a long climb. And there's no easy shortcut that gets you to the climb. And so as a new believer, a person must be careful to grow with God and not apart from God. You don't go parallel with them because there's no such thing as truly parallel. It just doesn't exist. You can't do it on a machine. You can have the finest um, uh, CNC machine in the world, but to cut a truly parallel line is impossible. Even at, at the microscopic level, you're going to be off, and it would show up if you went out far enough. They only look parallel. The only way that you walk, walk with God is when you're walking on the same path God's walking on. And when you're going to try and add something to him, you're going to start getting separation. And like I said, you've got to go back to get back on the right path. And sometimes that beating is rough. 1 Corinthians uh, 4, 6. This was one of the verses we worked on on Wednesday night. But it was so such a, a prod to me, a reminder. It says uh, that you learn to think not beyond what is written, that your mind would be retrained. Uh, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, um, that, you may be, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Those two sentences right there, those two scriptures, um, remind us that the way that we tend to think is like slaves. It's all we know. It's the only thing we know. We were purchased from the slave market of sin, the Bible says. And when we're purchased there, if you're in the slave market, that means you've got the mind of a slave. And the only thing you know to do is to think like a slave. And so you have to retrain your mind, and you have to learn not to think beyond what is written, what's to, what is written in this book. No longer do I make decisions based on what my worldly friends or my fellow slaves say the right decision is, but I, I learn to think by what God's Word tells me to think. What's the mind of Christ look like? How can I begin to think like that? It's a tricky thing. And it's transformed. That word transform is like uh, the renewal of your mind. It's the renovating. And we take, your, we take your brain, pull the top off, we sweep it out, clean it out, and we put all new furniture in there. We don't just try to put a cover on grandma's old couch because we like it. We throw it out and we burn it. And we start with brand new stuff. That's what renewing the mind looks like. It's transformed. you got to see yourself like these, these freed slaves. They're like little defenseless children, and they're at the mercy of Ezra, but just like our children, just like you were when you were a kid, your mom and dad could tell you something, and you would go and ask your friend if it was true. Ezra's trying to care for them, and instead of hearing Ezra, they go to these other people with the slave mindset and say, what do you think I should do? Well, if you like this Moabite, you should marry her. And before long, they got Canaanite wives, and it's a it's a major problem in their body. So, and even this was this was telling too, and this is in Nehemiah. But Zerubbabel, who brings the first group, and a, and the high priest Joshua, um, and King James they call him Joshua. It's kind of interesting, but Joshua, same name. Um, uh, those two guys even had to be prodded by the prophets. If you remember, it's in Nehemiah four and five. Those guys are prodded. He's like, hey, you're the lamps filled with oil. Stop being a dummy. Lead the people. Okay, okay, God's in charge. You're right, you're right. So Ezra, Haggai, Zechariah had to tighten those guys up. They had the mind. They came out of a slave culture. It's all they knew. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. Okay, this is what I'm telling you. Follow Ezra. He knows what's going on. Quit going back to the slave mind. Be free in your thinking. Don't think beyond what is written. 
just do what was written. So they're so they're so grateful when they're first freed, and that that even fasting was a privilege and a joy, and and they traveled that dangerous way without security and trusting God the whole way, and they rejoiced to see the foundations built. But like I said, they began to build their own houses. They got off track there a little bit, but but um, I really like this song. I'm not a big rap guy, but when love broke when love broke through, it's a Toby Mac song. It's a rap song, but uh, not a rap guy. I'm gonna tell you, it's a rapish song. Toby Mac. Um, but I really like the video more than the song. But it, it, it shows, uh, like, um, you know, the issues with the black uh, community, you know, kind of at war with the police and that kind of thing. And this one black man uh, is willing to cross the line and try to, you know, make amends with a police officer. And he ends up getting hit in the head with a rock. And then God intervenes as a police officer comes to rescue the man, and it rescues the son, it rescues the relationship. It's a good song. But that's what happens. Love breaks breaks through. These people have fallen away in a gradual sense over 20 years. They change their, their primary focus from God and His will and His word and what He had told them to do, and they'd made it their own thing. And now He... Uh, and now God re-intervenes through a word, and he, he, he breaks them of that slave mindset. I had it as uh, Nehemiah 9.17, if you want to look that up. I, I want to try to get going here, because I know we've got some other things to do. I want to read you this verse out of, this, this, out of Holy War. So when you're doing your own thing, the old school word was backslidden. It means you, you're doing, you're sliding back. You're going the wrong direction. And, and so when the Messiah comes back, so he had been in the spirit of man here. This town is named Man's Soul. And he had already been in this town. He had, they had, he had given them salvation at one point. And now it, here it is years later, and they had played with, with Satan and his minions for a long time. And one of the main things that Satan said he would trip them up with is he says, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll just bring abundant wealth into this city. And they'll completely forget about uh, Jehovah, and they'll they'll just build their houses and do their stuff. And that was the thing that really took them down. They when they talked negative about Jehovah, people stood up for them. But when they just provided all this uh, material things, anyway, that was the one thing that tripped up this this particular in this story. And so when the Messiah comes back, this is what he tells them as far as rescuing them. He's already come back. He's already provided the victory. And he's got them all in front of him. He's given them this speech. And he said, backsliding was your choice, but the way and means of your recovery was mine. I invented the way of your return. I built a hedge and a wall when you were beginning to turn to things which I did not delight in. I'm the one who made your sweet bitter and your day night, your smooth way thorny, and who confounded all who sought your destruction. I am the one who set Mr. Godly Fear to work in man's soul. That's the town, Mansell. I stirred your conscience and understanding, your will and your affections after your great and woeful decay. I'm the one who placed life into you, Mansoul, to seek me so you might find me, and when you found me, that you would find your own health, happiness, and salvation. I drew the wicked ones out of Mansoul the second time, and I overcame them and destroyed them before your face. And now, my Mansoul, I have returned to you in peace and your transgressions against me are as if they never happened. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our rebellions from us. It shall not be as in the former days with you, for I will, I will do better for you than at the beginning. I thought that was such a, a, a powerful way of looking at it. That, that first time when you, when you had the gospel and you knew you were free, you may not have had the maturity of the understanding to understand what you've been saved from, but after you've gone your own path for a while, and you realize that it just ain't going that whippy without God in the mix. And you want him back. Like I said, the, the way can be a little thorny. It can be a little hard. A man was telling me this morning, he said, 20 years I ran from God. I was saved 20 years ago. 20 years I was a Christian, but I was living my own way. And he said, recovering from that right now has been terribly hard. And I was praying, he said, I was praying in the car. And I'm like, God, where, where are you? When are you going to rescue me from these circumstances? I'm like, dude, 20 years. 20 years you've wounded the the uh, relationship for 20 years you want him to just hop back up stuff that comes easily we don't take care of well and that first salvation was easy 
And sometimes we don't handle it. Well, it's great. If you're the kind of person that got saved young and you followed that path, man, God bless you. Um, you're, you should thank God for that type personality, that type spirit of faith that you have in you. But if you're not that kind of person, you've spent a lifetime doing your own thing, and now you're wanting that reconciliation like you did when you were young, he's going he's gonna to bring it. And when you get it, it's going to be so much deeper than the relationship you had when you were first born. But it's going to be a little tougher. But persevere. Once purchased and given freedom, we must continually be aware of that potential old slave mindset that can crop back up. And what it does is it questions the master rather than questioning the word of the other slaves. And that's what we, that's what we fall into. Here's the last word I got for you. It's in Zechariah. I can put my little string in here. I should have got there easier. Zechariah chapter 10. So, so he promises to redeem you. He's already, he's already purchased you with a price. It was a price far above you could afford. He bought you from the slave market at a price you couldn't swing. It was the Christ's atoning blood, the very blood of God. And he paid it. It's been paid. Be encouraged. You're safe. Look how he does for these people that have spit in his face and have not done his will, and they've just done their own thing. Look how gracious God is. And I will strengthen the house of Judah. 10 verse 6. I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph, and I will bring them again to place them, for I have mercy upon them, and they shall be as though I had not cast them off, for I am the Lord their God, and I will hear them. And they of Ephraim shall be like a mighty man, and their heart shall rejoice as though... Filled with wine. Yea, their children shall see it and be glad, and their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. I'll whistle for them and gather them, for I have redeemed them, and they shall increase as they have increased. They'll continue to grow. And I'll sow them among the people. I'm going to sprinkle them around so that they can have a greater influence and have more come. I'll sow them among the people, and they shall remember me in far countries, and they shall live with their children and turn again. And I'll bring them again also out of the land of Egypt, out of the slavery and gather them out of Assyria, the other place of slavery. And I'll bring them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon, and that place shall not be found in them. Let's skip the next one, because that's a disciplined one of another nation. Verse 12, And I will strengthen them in the Lord, and they shall walk up and down in his name, saith the Lord. Man, to get that, that renewal of spirit like that, man, that's, that'll, that'll build you up. That puts the tough bark on the tree. You know, that, that first little tree grows up pretty quick. Sapling, you know, shoots up. The, the rings are real far apart, real bendy, any way the wind blows, whatever. Can take a whipping, right? But what makes the tree strong is when them outer rings, they grow slow. You get a big old 100-year-old oak tree, them outer rings, are, they may, maybe they got a little bit of space, but some, somewhere in the middle, them rings are really tight. That slow-growing, durable growth. Man, but that tree, it's the only way it goes down is if it's uprooted. It ain't going nowhere. It's durable. So... A person that's ever had a true encounter with Christ, you need to be encouraged. That if you're in a dry spell right now, God's not moved. It's probably you. You probably got a bunch of personal jazz in your life that you've turned your focus on, and you've made that the God that you're telling God to fix. And what you need to be very careful to do is give it back to God and say, God, I'm, I'm on the wrong trail. Man, take me back to the intersection and beat me, but... <laughs> Like, you know, whatever you do, do quickly, like the Bible says, you know, make it happen and let's, let's get on the right path because I can't take it anymore. I don't want to be separate. I want to be walking my own path. I want to walk the path with you now. And I'm telling you, the time of refreshing will be greater than that time of new birth because you can appreciate it now. Um, Kaylee was my only kid that really appreciated the freedom of youngness she was about six or seven, she told me. She didn't want to grow up. She wanted to be a kid because she knew there was freedom in it to just not have to work and whatever. And she's still struggling with that. I want to be free. I want to play, you know. I want to, we, it's good, that new birth, but we don't appreciate what it takes to have that kind of freedom when we're young. But now that we've got some age on us as believers and we've let life beat us up a little bit, man, return to the God that saved you and, and let's have that, that body like, uh, like Ezra had where those people were like, they were seeking to be purified. They were seeking to be redeemed. They were seeking to be committed, and that's what they really desired. Anyway, so if you're a leader of any type here at Plant Grow Harvest, um, be a Ezra 7.10. Purpose in your heart to know his word above everyone else. Actually, that's a call for all of you. 
And if you're and if you're not in leadership, just know you're in ministry. We're all in ministry here together. And as ministries, as ministers of the gospel, be so filled with the joy of the Lord that people outside the fellowship, the kings of this land, will see and desire what we have. We can do it. We can do it. God's going to work in our midst in this. Um, 622 says, says was that verse in, in Ezra, 622 was where it said that the Lord filled them with joy. So uh, our body will be abundantly blessed if we're filled with the joy of the Lord, if we're doing his will. You'll be blessed. Your joy will be full. That's what you want. It'll go outside the walls of this fellowship. And that's what we're called to do. And others will receive the gospel by your witness. Paul, Timothy, faithful men, others, others, others. We've got to remain long. I'm going to ask you to bow your head there and let's pray together. But I want to, um, I want to do one small thing before we can. We don't always do this. I'm, and then you're welcome to come here and pray if you would. If today is the day of recommitting from your youthful, uh, your youthful salvation, it's been a while, and you're feeling that dry phase, and you need to come and just ask God to fill you fresh. Come and pray. Now's the time while the Spirit's here and you're feeling what I'm saying. You've heard what was said. You know God's speaking to you personally. If that's the case, people, go ahead, close your eyes, bow your head. Don't worry about people watching you. Come and repent. Turn back to that youthful spirit. Remember how it was when you walked closely with your Creator. Remember how that was. And come and, and re-give yourself to Him. Before the holiday comes, before you have to witness to other people where you feel that pressure of, I've not lived that godly of a life. I can't witness well. I haven't even hardly lived a godly life. They wouldn't know if I didn't tell them that I was a Christian. If that's you, and today's the, today that can be the day that you recommit that part to yourself. We had a person accept Christ today, which was a, a, a great opportunity, a great benefit of fruitfulness for our fellowship. It could be you. If you're unsaved today, today could be the day of salvation. Maybe you need the first the first blessing before you can read this receive the, the second growing blessing. I'm going to pray. If you feel the need to come and pray, I'd love to pray with you. Jed's right here. Pastor Tony's right here. Dave's right here. Sarah's, you want a woman to pray with you? we got ladies that will pray with me, Sarah. Come, recommit your spirit. Give it back to the Lord. Be grateful for the gift that he's given you already. As we're going to celebrate this Thanksgiving, make sure you can... Thank him fully because you've seen him work in your life. You've seen him draw back to yourself, draw yourself back to him. Let me give you a minute. Father, I lift up this place in the name of Jesus. I know that we are just average people. But I also know that you use average people to accomplish great and powerful things. Father, I know that, uh, that there's a number of us that struggle when they feel like they're far from God right now. I pray, Lord, that you're convicting their spirit right now and that you're working on them and you're drawing them to yourself. Father, I pray uh, for that number of people here that, that don't feel like they have boldness to witness to other people. I pray that you give them boldness now and that you speak loudly to them when they're, when they're in that opportunity to, to care for another person, to give them the gospel, that they be confident in what they know to be true, that they could be the one that snatched one out of the fire. Lord, I pray as you work on this body, as you develop us into that group of people that you can use for your glory, Lord, I, I pray that people's eyes are opened, people's on the outside and people on the inside, that they see how good you are to us and how you've blessed us and cared for us, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for all these that have come. I pray for repentant spirits in here. I pray for the families that they're going to be joined with over Thanksgiving here, Lord. If any opportunity, Lord, for them to witness, Lord, I pray they be bold in their witness. Speak it from the table. Speak it in the prayer. Speak it in conversation. And it not be trivial stuff about football and and, and whatever thing they shot the day before, but it would be about drawing people to you 
There's time for the fun stuff, but there's time for the serious too, Lord. And I pray that we be convicted to be serious, sober, righteous, and godly in this present age. Present age. Father, thank you for this body. And I pray for those that are in leadership in this body. I pray for the deacons. I pray for the guys that teach. I pray for myself that we be humble and lead well. Pray for the people that they'd be obedient. Seek your face with their whole heart. Remain pure. And I do thank you, Lord. What a, what a great place you've provided for us. We thank you for this building, for the, for the technology in it, for the heat and air in it, for the water in it, for the bathrooms in it, for all the positive, for the children. Lord, we thank you for the fruit that you've provided this morning and, and drawing one to yourself. Father, as we get ready to go um, and package these gifts, Lord, I pray uh, that we just have joyful hearts as we work together and uh, as we put these little packages together for children overseas that you would go before us, Lord, and put them in the right hands. Thank you, Lord, now for the food and those that prepared it in the name of